I want to just remind us again what Advent is all about. It's a time where we prepare our hearts. Christmas is coming. Retailers are reminding you of that every day. But they're reminding you of that for a different reason than what I am saying to you today. Christmas is coming. But it, it is that day, it's that moment where we celebrate that, that, that act, that what God did in sending Christ. God becoming flesh, walking on our earth, getting our dirt between his toes, being afflicted by our human condition, living a perfect life, dying a death that he did not have to die to demonstrate just how much God loved the world. And then Jesus was raised victoriously because Christ has been raised. We too will be raised. And so Christmas begins that that time in the, in the life of the church in which we tell this story, the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on December 25th, we're going to celebrate that moment, but Advent is that time where we prepare. We prepare our hearts to fully receive this good news that was once announced to shepherds by angels. We receive that good news on Christmas Day. But it also, Advent is also a time that reminds us Christ has not only come, but Christ is coming again. And so we don't want to be unprepared like the people in Bethlehem. They made Mary and Joseph go to a stable to give birth to uh, their one and only, or to give birth to their firstborn son. We don't want to be like the people in Bethlehem that weren't prepared. We want to be ready when Christ comes. And so what is it that we should be doing what are the things that we should be about as a people to prepare our hearts for Christ's return? And I would just remind us that we've been given a mission. We've been given a calling. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you have a unique role to play in the mission of God. What God is doing to redeem the world and to make right everything that is wrong and to announce salvation to the world. We have a role to play in that. And so we want to be about that mission. The mission of our church is to love God and to love others and to make Christ like disciples. And so when Christ returns, will he find us doing that? Will he find us engaged in that? Uh, I, pray, I pray that he will. And Advent is that, that season which we, which we begin to tell the story again and make sure that we're ready for the return of Christ. Um, let me remind you of, an, of a resource that's out in the lobby as you enter the worship center today. There's this devotional book. It's called Come Peasant, King. And it's just a reminder that both peasants and kings are invited to come to the manger and to hear this good news of Christ's birth. Uh, so it's written by my friend Olivia. It's a great resource. The first reading begins today. So if you pick this up on your way out, you'll be right on par with uh, the readings and you'll be right on schedule. So it's out in the lobby. If you can spare $10, fine. Uh, if not, just take it. I want to make sure you have it in your home. Uh, I will tell you, it's $12.99 on Amazon. You know what we do in Bentonville? We just beat Amazon. That's what we do. And so uh, we're selling them for $10, all right, because we're in Bentonville. That's what we do. Um, so make sure you pick it up here. Uh, don't go anywhere else to get it. Come Peasant King. It's out there in the lobby. Um, hey, I want to direct you to a psalm. It's, it's a psalm that historically the church has said is, is a text that prepares us for Christmas. It's Psalm 25. And as we, as we read this text today, I want to ask you, where is your hope? Where is your hope? In what are you trusting? 
Maybe your hope today is that mom and dad has found your Christmas list. You know, that, that wish list that you put together uh, in, on some online retailer website somewhere and you conveniently texted it to them or you shared it with them via email or however you did that. You're hoping that mom and dad has seen that. Some of you will have no clue what I'm about to say, but there was a time in which I would take a catalog and I would circle things that I thought would be great to have on Christmas morning. And my brother would circle things, and I'd put my initials by the things I would like, and he'd put his initials by the things he would like. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. I might as well be speaking Hebrew to you today. But um, that, that happened at one point. I hoped mom and dad found that. Uh, I watched a movie last night. We began the Christmas movie season last night, and I watched the movie about a, a boy who hoped he would find a Red Ryder BB gun under his tree when he woke up on Christmas morning. I bet you've seen that movie too. Um, but we hope for certain things. Where is your hope? What are you looking forward to? What does your future look like? And here in Psalm 25, it's a psalm attributed to King David. We're going to look at that today. And this psalm is going to call us to place our hope in the Lord. And so let's read it together. So if you have your Bibles, Psalm 25, um, let's read that. David writes this, In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let your enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. There's that word. My hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. We're going to stop there for today, but there are actually 22 verses of this psalm. And there are 22 characters in the Hebrew alphabet, and it forms an acrostic. Each, each verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And in some way, the psalm writer is saying, we can place our hope in the Lord from A to Z. It's a, it's every possible scenario, every possible contingency, everything you can think of, the answer is always going to be to put your hope in the Lord. Verse 1 begins with a confession. It's something that all of us would have, if you're a follower of Jesus today, in, in that decision to follow Jesus, you would have said something like this, I trust in you. That's how the psalm begins. I mean, that's our first step in faith, where we, where we cross the, the line of, I, I, I'm exploring faith, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to this message of Jesus, and I think it might be something I want to build my life on. And when we first make that decision to follow Jesus, it is 
us saying, I trust in, I, in you. I completely trust in you. Um, I, I think the NIV does an okay job with this verse, but I found a different translation that, that I, I like better. I think it captures more of what the psalm writer is wanting us to see. It says, I offer my life to you. I offer my life to you. I, I, I'm going to go with that today. This psalm, is, which is from the hymn book of Israel, these were the worshiping songs of, of the Israelites, it begins with this confession that I offer my life to you. It's saying the totality of who I am, my hopes, my dreams, my future, whatever I imagine my life to be, Lord, all of that is in your hands. I offer my life to you. As I begin to think about what this psalm was saying, I was reminded of another hymn book and another song. And it's, it's from, my, from my childhood now. Um, in fact, even saying the word hymn book is from my childhood. You may not know this, but churches used to have all the songs collected in a printed book. And that book would be in the seat near you. And you would get that printed book and you would open it up and you would sing to, uh, uh, you would sing, you know, whatever the worship leader invited you to sing. Some of you remember that. Some of you, again, have no clue what I'm talking about. But in the hymn book was a song. And it said this, My hope is built on nothing less Than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame But wholly lean on Jesus' name On Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Some of you remember it. You remember it. That is from our hymn book, and it's based on Israel's hymn book. That's what, that's what the psalm writer is saying, is that my hope is built on nothing less than complete and total trust in God. And as we are New Testament people, we, we know that this, is, this, this hope in God is, is in what Christ has done. Christ is our solid rock. We stand on him. Everything else is sinking sand. Everything else is unsuitable to build your life upon. But on this good news of Jesus, on what God has done in Christ, we can build our life on this. We can put our hope in Christ. Now, I think we have to backtrack a little bit when we talk about hope just because of the way we use this word like i said I, I, list, I watched a movie last night of a little boy who hoped he would get a red rider bb gun and i think when we use the word hope we're using it in that sense there's something that i desire i don't know if i will get it or not or i don't know if it will happen or not but i certainly hope it happens i hope this thing comes my way how many of you watched football this weekend and you hoped for a certain outcome? You hoped the Cowboys would win. You hoped the Razorbacks would win. Yesterday I watched a game where in which I hoped the University of South Carolina would finally beat the Clemson Tigers. But I was severely disappointed, just like the Cowboy fans in the room were disappointed. But I hoped for a particular outcome. 
And it didn't happen. And, and I imagine that, that this, is, this, this is how we most often use this word. Where there's, there's some reality that we desire to, to come into the present. And we, we hope that it happens. But we do so knowing there's no guarantee that, the, uh, that, that, that these things would actually happen. And in that sense, when we say the word hope, it usually sounds like wish. It usually sounds like some kind of, of wishful thinking. We, we hope our team wins or we hope this certain thing happens or we hope that we get the job. It's almost as if we're blowing out the birthday candles and we're making a wish and we have no real basis to think that, any, that our wish might come true other than it's just something we desire. It's wishful thinking. It's something we want. We, we pulled the long end of the wishbone this Thanksgiving, and now we get to make a wish. So we want something to happen, and so we hope that it becomes a reality. And what I want to say to you today, because you're going to see this word over the next few weeks, is that this is not the kind of hope we're talking about. This isn't even hope at all. In the biblical sense, what hope is, is a, a, a desire for God's preferred future to break into our present. And it's not wishful thinking. It is built on the promises of God. It's built on the track record of God. It's built on the faithfulness of God. As, as people of faith, as, as, as Christian people, we gather in this place and we remember the faithfulness of God. We remember what God has done in the past. And based on what God has done in the past, we are bold and we hope for God's preferred future. And we do so in confidence, knowing that it's not an if, but it's a when. It's not, is God going to break in? If God breaks in, if God does something, if God moves a mountain. It's not if, it's when God breaks in. It's when God completes his, his plan of redemption. It's when God brings all of this to fruition. It's going to happen. It's a guaranteed reality. This is where our hope is anchored. The hope of the Christian is anchored in the promises of God. And so when David writes this in Psalm 25, I offer my life to you. He is doing so on, in that kind of hope, on that kind of spirit, based on the foundation, the solid rock of, of faith in God. This, this psalm then goes on to ask for protection. Because of this hope that I have, he says, protect me from my enemies. And who are the enemies in our lives? I want us to think about factors and people and things in our life that threaten the promises of God, that keep us from experiencing this hope that God desires for us to, to have. David says, don't let my enemies triumph over me. You know the story of King David? It's a story marked by enemies. He had all kinds of enemies in his life. But probably the most famous enemy that, that he had is in 1 Samuel 17. And uh, we'll, we'll revisit that story today. You, you may have heard it, but in case you haven't, I'll, I'll tell it for you today. The Israelites are led by a guy named King Saul. He's the first king of Israel. And he's always dealing with a group of people that want to swoop in. They want to steal the crops of the Israelites. They want to make life very difficult for the Israelites. It's called the Philistines. 
So this group of people called the Philistines, they're always coming in and causing trouble for the Israelites. And so Saul has to go out and confront the Philistines with his army. So he musters up an army. He meets the Philistines at this, at this place. And there are two mountains. And on one mountain, the Israelites are encamped and they're preparing to go to battle against the Philistines. And on the other mountain, here are the Philistines. And, and they, there's, it's sort of a staring contest in 1 Samuel 17. Who's going to go down into the valley where they can do battle first? Are the Israelites going to blink first or are the Philistines going to blink first? And you kind of read this tension there in 1 Samuel 17. And what the Israelites decide to do is they send out a champion. And this champion goes down into the valley and he is an impressive warrior. In fact, he's described as a giant. His name is Goliath. He's six cubits tall. Now, who knows what a cubit is? I'll do, the, I'll do the calculations for you. Over nine feet tall. And he's strong and he's big. And he goes down, this nine foot giant goes down into the valley and he has a massive shield and a big helmet and, and, a, and, and a spear and a javelin and a sword and a shield. And, and they weigh just immense amounts and no, no single person could pick up any part of his armor. I mean, that's how, that's how strong he is and how powerful he is. He wears this stuff and, and anybody would be crazy to fight him. But he goes down into the valley and he begins to taunt the Israelites. He begins to say, hey, let's have a, let's have a fight. You send out the best warrior you have. You, you send out the best you have and he'll fight me. And if I win... Then, then you guys are going to be our servants. But if your champion beats me, then we'll submit to you guys and, and, and we'll be your servants. Just send out anybody. It's me versus the best you got. Bring it on. And the text tells us that Goliath would go down into the valley and he would taunt the Israelites for 40 days. 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath goes down into the valley. He's taunting the Israelites. If you have read the Bible a few times, when you see this detail, 40 days, you sort of, you're, 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 you sort of perk up. Oh, that's, that's a detail the writer wants me to see. What does that represent? It shows up a few times in the Bible. Noah in the ark, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus does battle with Satan in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. It shows up all the time in the Bible. And it represents a period, uh, uh, it, it represents a period of testing, a time of testing. And so here's Goliath going down into the valley for 40 days. He is testing the resolve and the faith and the hope of the Israelite army. Would they stand the test? And it reminds me of a verse of that song that I sang for you. It reminds me of a verse that sometimes it got omitted when we were singing these hymns. Sometimes the worship leader would get up and say, hey, turn to, turn to the solid rock. There was a time I could tell you the hymn number. It has escaped me. Turn to the solid rock and sing the first, third, and fourth stanza. I don't know why we had admit, omitted certain stanzas, but we would. And inevitably, we would omit this verse. And it's the second verse that says this. When darkness veils his lovely face. When darkness veils his lovely face. 
And there's another line in that stanza that says, when all around my soul gives way. This verse is describing maybe a reality that you're living in today. Are are you living in a reality in which the promises of God are in jeopardy? Are you living in a reality in which darkness has veiled the face of God? Are you living in a reality where the things that you were holding on to, the things that you were building your life upon, the things that you thought were unshakable, all of a sudden they're giving way? When darkness veils his lovely face. And, and, and this, is, this is what is happening there in, in this, this time of, of testing. The Goliath is going out and, and the promises of God are in, in jeopardy. But I love how that verse resolves itself. And this is our hope today. When darkness veils his lovely face. It says this. I rest on his unchanging grace. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. You see, the the hymn book of Israel, the hymn book of the church, it doesn't ignore the time of testing. It doesn't ignore the time where things give way and you can't see God and the promises appear to be in jeopardy. It doesn't ignore those But it confidently says, he then is all your hope and stay. Even when you can't see, rest in his unchanging grace. This is what we can hold on to. And we need people like David to come into the camp in the time of testing and to remind us of the faithfulness of God. David comes from his father, Jesse. He says, hey, take this bread and this cheese to your brothers. They're, they're about to go to war against the Philistines and they're going to need this. And so he goes to the Israelite camp and goes in to see his brothers. And he says, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and they say, what do you mean what's going on? The Philistines are over there. and They've got this guy named Goliath and he's making fun of us and he's going to kill us all. And he wants one of us to go and fight him. What do you mean what's going on? David says, well, are we not servants of the living God? Do we not serve a God who can part waters? Do we not serve a God who's worked miracles? And his older brother's just really getting angry at this point. Oh, you want to go fighting, shepherd boy? You think you can go out and take, take out Goliath? And David says, I serve the living God. I serve a God who parts waters. I could do it through the Lord. And word of this shepherd boy from Bethlehem. Word of this shepherd boy from Bethlehem's confidence gets to King Saul and Saul sends for David and David comes into the presence of King Saul and Saul says, you really think you can? And David says, hey, do we serve the living God or do we not? Our God is a God that that we build our life upon. We put our hope in him. He parts waters. And so I believe with the help of God, I can. Saul says, well, you're just a shepherd. How in the world could you do that? David said, let me tell you the story of what God has done in my life. I was out tending the sheep and a a lion came up on the flock. And with the help of God, I was able to kill the lion and save the flock. It wasn't too long after that, a bear came into the pasture and a bear tried to take some of the sheep. And God gave me strength and I was able to kill the bear and protect the flock. God was with me with the lion. He was with me with the bear. And he will be with me as I go into the valley. 
to face Goliath. Saul does not have a whole lot of options at this point. So he says, okay, you're all I got. Shepherd boy from Bethlehem. Let's go down into the valley. But here, you need to take my armor. And so he gives David his breastplate and he gives David his shield and he gives David his spear and they get David all suited up and it just doesn't fit. Breastplate's too big, the shield's too heavy, and everything ends up being too cumbersome. And David says, you know what, I, 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 don't, I don't need any of this stuff. I don't need any of this extra stuff. My hope is singularly focused, is singularly built on the Lord. And I, I think about those moments when we're in the valley, when we are in a time of testing how often do we reach for external things? How often do we try to add on to this hope that we have in the Lord? How often do we, we try to manufacture things and, and do things on our own and say, you know, Lord, I, I know you're calling me to fully trust in you, but, but I think if I do this or if I bring, in, bring this into the equation or if I pull this lever or push this button, I think I can make this happen on my own. And we're putting armor on that doesn't fit. We're trying to go into the valley to do battle with the giant with things that, that ultimately don't fit who we are. And they don't fit where we're at and where we're, where we're journeying with the Lord. And, and the, the call of the story seems to be build your hope singularly, exclusively on the Lord. Don't feel like you need to bring other things into the equation. Build your hope squarely on, on Him. We tend to take things into our own hands and do things on our own by our own strength. And so David in the psalm, returning to Psalm 25, verse 4, he says this, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Verse 5, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Are you in the valley? This morning? Are you facing the giant? Are, are you tempted to go out and do battle against the giant of despair or to, or to do battle against the, the, the giant of hopelessness or to, to do battle against the, the giant of discouragement? Are you trying to go out and do battle against that giant in your own strength with armor that doesn't fit? What David is saying, show me your ways Lord. teach me your paths, guide me in your truth. The ways of the Lord. Like, this is how we face the giant. This is how we face the giant. And so he goes out to meet Goliath. He takes Saul's armor off and he says, I have to go and I just, I just have to go meet him on my, on my own, in my own way, with the Lord's help. And as he is going down into the valley, he comes to a brook. And the brook is flowing with water and he reaches down into the brook and the text tells us that he pulls out five smooth stones. They're smooth because they've been in the brook for quite some time and water has been flowing over them and they've, they've rounded them out and they've made them smooth. So he reaches in and he pulls out these five smooth stones. And I've often thought about that detail of the story. You know, it only takes one to take down a giant. Why would you need five, David? But that's what he does. He, he reaches down and he, he gets five and he puts him in his pouch. And he goes out to meet the giant. And the giant has never seen a, 
little shepherd boy like this from, from, from Bethlehem. He's never, he's, he's faced a lot of people and he's, he's killed a lot of people and he's been in a lot of battles, but no one has sent out a little runt like this. So he says to Saul and the Philistines or the Israelites, hey, am I a dog that you would come out here to meet, that you would send this guy out to face me? Am I a dog? Don't you know who I am? I'm Goliath. What are you doing? But David, through the confidence and through the power of the Lord, he says this, verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17. But David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and javelin and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know, listen to this church, it's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Where is David's hope built? When David writes this in Psalm 25, I offer my life to you. This is his story. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about going down into the valley and facing the giants and saying, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. I offer my life to you, my hope, my future, my dreams, dreams, everything I am, my very life, my survival in this battle. It's completely in the Lord's hands. And David reaches in to his pouch and he gets a stone and he puts it in a sling and he begins to spin it. And at just the right time, he lets the stone go. And by the power of the Lord, the stone strikes the only part of the giant that wasn't protected. A part of his skull in between his eyes there and his forehead. It knocks him unconscious. He goes and he takes the giant's own sword and kills the giant and delivers the Philistines into the hands of the Israelites that day. And it's, and it's an example of where our hope is. Our hope is in the Lord. The story ends with this. <laughs> the story ends with Saul asking David, where are you from? Where'd you come from? And he says, I am the son of Jesse of Bethlehem. A shepherd from Bethlehem delivered the Israelites from their enemies. And what is it this season is all about? This season is all about a shepherd from Bethlehem that delivers us from sin, that delivers us from death, that delivers us from our fears, that delivers us from our afflictions. This is the hope that is rising during this season. Like, like hope rising from Bethlehem to go out and meet the giant, the Christmas story that we're telling over the next few weeks is about a, a shepherd from Bethlehem that reminds us that these promises of God that we build our life on, they are faithful, they are true. God has been faithful in the past. He is faithful today. He's going to be faithful in the present. And maybe darkness has veiled the face of God today. Maybe darkness has veiled the promises of God for you, but we've lit a candle. It's the candle of hope. And it's meant to dispel the darkness. It's meant to reveal the promises of God. It's meant for you to know 
that there is no other story on which you can build your life but the story of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and friends, his coming again. This is where our hope is found. And so, can we say with David in Psalm 25, I mean, can we open our hands and as the light of his presence in this place, as it reveals the face of God, as it reveals the promises of God, can we say, I offer my life to you. Lord, I build my life on you. And friends, when you do that, I want you to know it's not wishful thinking. It's not like you got the long end of the wishbone and you're making a wish. Friends, it is a promise that God has made in the past and it is built on a sure future that we can build our life upon God. We can put our hope and our, our trust in Him. And one of the things I, I love about this Advent season is it actually allows us to do what I think David did as he went to meet the giant. Again, I, I, I've always kind of circled on this detail that he goes down into the brook and he picks out five smooth stones. In some ways, what Advent is, is a time for us to gather stones. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I imagine David going down to the brook and thinking about what he had to do and thinking about, wow, this whole thing is built upon God showing up. If God doesn't show up, I'm dead. If God doesn't show up, my brothers are dead. If God doesn't show up, the armies are dead. This is singularly built on a hope and a confidence in God. And so I imagine him stooping down to the brook and finding the perfect stones, finding the ones that he wants to put in his pouch. And that's going to take some time. It's going to take some, some time for him to just pause and to just anchor himself in his hope in the Lord. And I imagine him picking up one stone and saying, God's been faithful in the past. This stone is the lion. I remember that day. I remember when God delivered the lion into my hands. And so he takes it as a testimony. And he puts it in his pouch. And then he reaches into the brook and he finds another smooth stone worn down by the years of water running over it. And he pulls it out of the brook and he says, this is the bear. Ah, I remember that moment. Remember that day. I had no business ever defeating a bear, but God showed up. So he remembers the bear and he puts that one in his pouch. And then he takes a little extra time on this next one because this is the one for today. He finds that stone and he says, this has Goliath's name on it. What, what God did for me with the bear, what God did for me with the lion, I'm counting on him to do today with Goliath. And so he puts that in kind of a special part of the pouch so he can get to it when he needs it. You'd think he would just move on. He's got what he needs. But he goes into the brook and he grabs two more. And he makes sure they are as special as the previous three. And what I think is happening there is David is showing us that this, this trust, 
This singular hope in God has to be a rhythm for our lives. We have to have confidence in what God has done in the past. We have to depend upon Him him today in the present. But let's go to the brook and let's grab two more stones because, friends, the valley will come again. There will come another day in which darkness will veil His lovely face. There will come another day when all around you will give way. And you're going to need a stone for that day as well. You're going to need a confidence that, what, that, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever in the future. And so David reaches down and he gets two more. And he says, these are for tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Because I'm not just trusting in the Lord today. I am going to live in this rhythm all the days of my life. My life is in your hands, God. I trust solely in you.